0: Commission to witnessing to preaching the gospel, chase people from the inside out, start with the heart, share our faith. We don't get out and share our faith like we used to, we just don't do it like we used to. The stats on the current generation we've got the first generation in the history of this country that is we're losing the demographics as it relates to millennials accepting Christ. Those are our children, yours and mine. What did we do wrong and how can we fix it? We've got to bring our faith into the house, into the hearts of people and share our faith in such a way that they don't associate our faith with our politics or politics with our faith. We've made some unhealthy unions and I think we need to untangle them and let the church be the church.
1: Yeah, I love that. Let the church be the church. Nobody like T.D. Jakes, is there? So I do want to talk to all of us today for a few minutes about what's called the Great Commission. Uh, Claire read it, Don uh, let us in reading it together. Uh, but I want to expand it a little bit where we're going to go with this. Um, question to start out is simply this. Have you ever thought about uh, if you gave a speech um, at the end of your life, knowing that it's kind of the final thing that you're going to say to somebody, have you ever thought about that? course, one of the things we would think about is you'd think about who you were saying it to, right? That makes a difference, the audience. um, You would want it to be kind of formatted to that. Or have you ever thought about what would go on your tombstone, perhaps? Like what would I want on my tombstone, a statement or some statements? Some of us have even done that practice, uh, maybe in a meeting or something, uh, where you've literally written out what you would want uh, on your tombstone. Well, uh, when it comes to Matthew 28, when it comes to what's referred to as the Great Commission, where Jesus, speaking, this is shortly after the resurrection, he's speaking to 11 of the disciples, and they have gone where he told them to go, and they were waiting for him. He shows up after the resurrection, and he makes the profound statement that we call the Great Commission. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, is there any doubt in the room today? I'm sure that some of us are doubting, but Jesus is big enough to get us through that doubt, but I love that that's even stated here. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. To the end of the age. So, the audience is the 11 disciples, and the audience are Christ followers for ages to come, which would include any of us that are on uh, active pursuit of Christ on this day. Um, if you wouldn't consider yourself a part of that, I would just really invite you to uh, maybe consider, certainly on this day, the most amazing adventure. And what you were really created for was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God uh, stands waiting arms wide open for you to do that. I hope that this might be the day uh, where you could make that decision. But anyway, so he's speaking to believers then and now. And then it's interesting because I was ruminating with this scripture and I thought about, you know, other people that uh, perhaps... Uh, were real prominent in the scripture, and things that they stated, and what happened after Jesus said this, and that's really where the book of Acts comes from, is the book of Acts is the church starts up, and it's kind of an account of some awesome things that are going on, and there's this one guy, his name is Paul, Um, he gives his life to Christ, Paul ends up um, writing the majority of the New Testament. He is, he is uh, used by God to write the majority of the New Testament, a profound historical character and an amazing, amazing person in pursuit of God. And I think Paul also takes this framework of Matthew 28 and makes his own farewell statement in essentially saying, in, near the end of his life, knowing that his life's about to end, that Jesus gave us this directive, and I want you all to know that as a Christ follower, this is how I think you do it. And you find it in the book of Acts, Um, and it's interesting because in the book of Acts, every talk, every speech, everything that's proclaimed to a group of people is proclaimed to those, the audience is unbelievers, essentially, except for one talk. I mean, there's words and things that are said, but when it comes to a speech, a talk, a conversation that's done. There's this one time, and it's the Apostle Paul, and I think it's in there very specifically for this reason, to help us understand what Jesus is really inviting us to. And it's Paul saying, this is how I've tried to do it, and I think this is how you can all try to do it if you pay attention. And we find it in the book of Acts chapter 20. Paul is about to, he's been with the Ephesians for some say about three years at this point, And he's saying farewell to them. It's kind of his farewell address. He knows his life's about to end. You actually find that here that he says, you know, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Then ultimately he'll go to Rome and he will, be, uh, he will give his life for his faith. And he sees it coming. He knows it's coming. He talks about it. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen, but he knows that. That's, that's probably the destination, Jerusalem, then Rome. Anyway, he starts in Acts chapter 20, and this is what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about some reminders that I think he states, and if you have a pen, I think that uh, you might want to jot these down because I think these can help all of us really live into what God calls us to be as Christ followers. So I want to go through a handful of reminders that I think Paul talks about in Acts 20, starting with verse 20. Paul saying, I did not shrink back from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly from house to house. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In other words, Paul says, first of all, understand I have done my duty What Paul is saying is we all have a generational duty. We have a generational duty, all of us, every Christ follower that will ever follow behind after the statement made in Matthew 28 and then after this statement that Paul makes, it's very clear we have a duty as Christ followers to proclaim the gospel. Paul makes this interesting statement. He says, I'm not responsible for the blood of any of you. It's in reference to a scripture in Ezekiel 33, 8, where the Bible says that everybody lives in iniquity and that those that die in their iniquity will be separated from God. However, those that don't tell people that they are living in iniquity, that understand that people are living in iniquity, will be responsible for the blood of those that will die in their iniquity. So Paul is referring to that. He's saying, listen, I have done my duty. I've done my best to proclaim the gospel to this generation, not to every person on the face of the planet, but every person that's a part of my generational connection. This generation of Christians, Keith Green used to say, is responsible for this generation of people. Over 20 years ago, there was an earthquake. Some of you are old enough maybe to remember it. It it was in the Northridge area just outside of L.A. Um, And it happened in the middle of the night, early morning, I think somewhere around 4.30 in the morning. And there was one story that was amazing that happened. There was this guy, he said he was driving down the freeway, and the car in front of him, he was watching their taillights, and all of a sudden the taillights disappeared. And he thought it was curious, and he slowed down as he approached where he saw the taillights just stop. And as he got closer, he realized that the part of the freeway had just dropped off. It was, it was totally open. And the car had been going 65, 70 miles an hour in front of him and just went right off the edge to their tragic death, right off of this bridge over overpass and he said, right away, I thought, oh no, this is this is a terrible situation. So he right away jumped out of the car and started to wave his arms as cars would come, 65, 70 miles an hour, cars were coming toward him. And he said, the first three or four. He said, I wasn't even sure how many cars came. First three or four cars, um, as they saw me, he said, I understand That's It's like right outside of LA, and I'm out in the middle of the freeway in the middle of the night waving my arms 65, 70 miles an hour. Didn't even slow down. Went right off the end. And he said, a couple of minutes later, I saw a bus coming my way full of people. And he said, I realized this bus If I don't do something, all of these people are going to perish. And he said he made a decision that if that bus... Uh, was going over the edge, he was going to go with it, and he started to jump, and he pulled his shirt off, and he was waving, and sure enough, the bus driver started blinking his lights and started to beep his horn and slowed down. The bus driver got out of, not knowing what was ahead, got out of the bus, and he was cursing at the guy and yelling at him, and he says, you need to understand, the bridge is out because of the earthquake, and you are about to die so he, he, the bus driver positioned the bus in a way that would block off people from going into that, that hole, essentially, in the road. And it, it, it begs a question, because the truth of the matter is, is that's really what the gospel's about. The gospel is the good news. It's a bridge. There's this separation for every person that's ever born on this planet. There's a separation. Sin separates us from God. It creates this chasm that must be bridged some way. And the way that it's been bridged is by Jesus going to a cross. And Jesus b- offers a bridge to the chasm. But if we, if we simply never accept that, that bridge builder, that bridge that's afforded to us, we speed headlong, no matter how we're trying to do our life, we speed headlong into this chasm that separates us from God and we're called to because we know what lies ahead those of us that are Christ followers we're called to tell people i understand that there's this hole in the wall in the road that if you don't pay attention and if you don't go across the only bridge that's that's acceptable you too will perish see i you and i are not responsible for how people respond to the gospel but we are responsible that they hear the gospel I can't make you listen to what I say, but I'm called and invited to tell you about the chasm that Lies in front of all of us. I've had people before, even Christians, you know, it's interesting in the video with TD Jakes where he says, It seems like we're not sharing our faith enough. I've had, I think there's a lot of reasons for that in our culture, but I've had even Christians say to me, But other people say to me, Do you really believe, Scott? Do you believe in a literal hell? Like when you read those scriptures about hell, do you believe that? Like there's, there actually is this chasm? You think that there's, you know, the whole, all the scriptures about fire and, and brimstone and the separation and, Uh, The first thing that comes to my mind is I think, well, Jesus seemed to believe that there was a hell, uh, certainly, because Jesus talked about it more than anybody else in Scripture. But secondly, I say, you know, there's a lot of metaphor in Scripture, so I don't know literally what hell, I don't know literally what heaven looks like. But I do know this, when I read the Scriptures about hell, whether it's a literal hell like I have made up in my mind or you've made up in your mind, it is not like the spring break that you just went on. It is not like a great vacation you go on in the winter. It is not, it's a tragic choice. It is a separation for sure. The details of it, I can't really stand here and authentically say I know every detail of it, but I know this, I know the descriptive of it, the symbolism of it is horrifying. And therefore I have a responsibility. Claire and I, we've been to the Queen Mary uh, ship a couple times. over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. It's docked in Long Beach, California now. And uh, anyway, the Queen Mary was built before uh, before World War II. It was designed to be this luxury uh, ship to just take people on these luxury cruises out in the ocean. And um, when World War II started, uh, it was specifically designed just for people to have this Amazing trip on the water. Well, when World War II started, they they actually commissioned the ship to carry soldiers instead of being a luxury liner, that it would carry soldiers across the ocean uh, to bring them to places where they would do warfare. So it's interesting, this ship that was built for luxury, where it was built for 3,000 people to live in, now housed up to 15,000 soldiers that were on their way to battle. In one room where one couple in the luxury days would live or stay during their cruise, 16 soldiers would stay in that same room. And the truth of the matter is, is is the church, the body of Christ, is kind of like this ship during wartime. And we need to understand that, that it's not a luxury liner for comfort for all of us. It is an efficient. War-type vehicle that carries troops to send out the message. It's It's not designed for being a place of luxury. It's designed to be a rescue station for the broken. It's a place that's designed to be a place of resourceful excellence where the gospel is proclaimed and where we realize that there is a war going on for the souls of men and women. The second reminder Paul leads us to in Acts 20 is in verse 19. He says, You yourselves know that I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul it's an interesting term here Paul says I lived I, and I served the Lord with all humility that word humility there is a greek term it was actually an insult outside of the church it was a term that was used if you lived in humility that was a term of you 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 just you weren't measuring up it was an insult to call somebody humble It was an insult to say that somebody was living in humility. In the scripture, it shows up in that same period of time 200 times. Paul uses it extensively. Paul uses it as humility is a virtue that I'm living in. This is what the Bible describes as upside-down living. This is Paul saying, reminder number two, give your attention to Jesus in a culture such as ours that is so bent on celebrity and, and becoming famous or getting our name out there. There's people in the scripture like John the Baptist that says, I must decrease so Jesus increases. Paul says, move the attention to Jesus, not to your celebrity. If anyone has need or has a reason, Paul even says this at one point, to be able to boast in who they are, it would be me, Paul says. When you pay attention to Paul's writings, you see in the early days after his conversion that he's making these boastful statements, but as he he transforms through the process of his life, the scriptures, the text that he writes late in his life are those scriptures where he says, I am the chief, for instance, of all sinners. Move the attention to Jesus. Paul is saying here, I will live and have lived a sacrificial life I have given of my time, my talent, and my generosity for the promotion of God and his kingdom. I have voluntarily, he says, I have voluntarily endured hardships for kingdom's sake. I have voluntarily come to tears at times for God's kingdom to come to pass. He goes on and he says, I have overcome plots. People have been evil against me. And I have overcome the plots, he says, of the Jews For the kingdom cause. In other words, move your attention on Jesus, and I will do everything I can to make sure that that happens in my own life. Reminder number three is in verse 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and over all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, speaking to the elders at Ephesus. Shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. Reminder number three is make sure you invest in the church, Paul says. Paul here, again, uses this kind of interesting statement when he says to shepherd the church of God that has been obtained with the blood of his own son. It's interesting because um, Claire and I, we've been to a lot of fundraisers and a lot of situations. I'm sure you have been too. Um, and it's always, it's always wonderful to me to see people that, like, uh, you might be at a fundraiser and you see people really believe in that institution. Uh, you've seen it, perhaps. We've all benefited from uh, hospitals we've been in, for instance, where people have given of their wealth and their energy and their time. Uh, we've all been probably to art museums where people have made humongous donations because they believe in what the, the art museum is trying to, to do. Uh, probably all of us have been in schools where uh, there's been huge donations made, some of those public, some of those not so public. And it's really kind of cool to be in those environments where you see people would be that giving and that generous um, to believe in that whatever it is, that, that, institu- that, that help, that thing that makes us all better people. But what Paul is saying here is there is nothing like the investment that Jesus has made in the church and in our lives. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like the blood of Jesus. It goes beyond anything we can imagine. It has been obtained by the blood of his own son. And Paul says, therefore, I will make it central in my life because Jesus has paid for it with his own blood. It is that important to me. Some of us, sometimes it's easy, and we see it in our culture, it's easy to pick on the church. It's like Jesus is great, but not so much the church. And the truth of the matter is, is the first thing we seem to forget is Jesus came and shed his blood for us as individuals and the church because we needed it. Of course, the church is not a perfect entity. Of course, the church filled with people has brokenness that still happens. But Jesus seemed to think it important enough. And Paul raises the bar here and says, I will make this central and have made this central in my life. See, uh, Jesus... Uh, And the scripture refers, for instance, to uh, the church as the bride of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but Claire and I, uh, we would take it like you couldn't say something about my spouse and expect me to fully engage with you well. Do you get it? Um, And I am sure that if you said, you know, Claire, you're amazing, Scott, not so much, that she wouldn't want to invite you over for coffee unless she wanted to try to help you Find out what a fabulous person I am somehow. But Paul says that with the body of Christ is worth my investment and it's worth yours. It really is God's representation on earth. When I was a little kid, a uh, young kid, we used to do different you know joke around, do different things, and one of the things that we would do, you ever try to do like magic tricks? And you would try to bend... Did you ever try to bend a fork or a spoon just by like... Mm, you know, because you probably saw it on TV or something. And you would just like, you know, maybe rub your head. And then when your friends weren't looking, you'd bend it and say, Look! You know, it bent. Well, the body of Christ is connected to the mind of Christ. The scripture says that God is the head. And this amazing body... We, we know that there's got to be some kind of trickery that we, we used to do. Ultimately, I used my hands and my fingers and my arms to bend a fork when I wanted it bent. And the reality of the body of Christ is we really are where Jesus, his will meets the earth. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus can bend forks without your help or mine. Jesus could do anything The power of the Holy Spirit can overarch anything that we can even imagine. However, however, there is this uniqueness about the body of Christ that Jesus simply says, you will make the difference on the earth. There are those occasions where things happen, where the mind of Christ, where God, the head of the church, does things without us even needing to be involved But the vast majority of the time, the mind, the head, speaks to the heart and speaks to the shoulders and speaks to the arms and speaks to the hands, speaks to those fingers and says, go ahead and bend. Go ahead and feed the poor. Go ahead and preach the gospel. You take your feet and go to foreign mission fields you go ahead and love your neighbor. You go ahead and extend the care, bring healing to a world that is broken. In, in Acts 20, 24 is the fourth reminder, and it's, you find it here. It says, but I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. It's interesting because Paul at times uses this personal pronoun verbiage and he does it here. He says, I would finish my course and that the ministry that I have received from the Lord, that I will testify of that. I will do those things. In other words, I will faithfully follow what the personal assignment is for my life. Not only am I connected to the body of Christ, but I also realize that there is, a, there is an assignment that is on my life, that I am uniquely created in God. God has fashioned me for a purpose, and I will live into that thing and, cre- and encourage others to live into how they are created. See, and this is what happens sometimes as we, we, we trip up. And I think part of the celebrity thing trips us up in this way is we look at other believers and we start to think, well, I'm not doing what they're doing or I'm not doing enough. And we forget about the uniqueness and power in our own life, the giftedness that God in his genius sent you to the world to bring to the world. And we think that our ordinary faithfulness does not matter. But the truth about scripture and about our lives, each and every one of us, is we, if we paid enough attention, we would realize that it is in our ordinary faithfulness that brings extraordinary results far more times than not. It's out of those ordinary moments of faithfulness that extraordinary things happen. We've talked about it over the last several weeks, throwing net under the other side of the boat and all of a sudden a miracle happens. He tells 10 lepers to go show themselves. Just take a walk. Go show yourselves to the priest. And in their simply taking the walk, Jesus heals them. He asks a woman at a well if she would just give him some water. And out of that, a whole community comes to Christ. Simply out of her being obedient enough to have a conversation with him and giving him water. There's a widow that comes and gives a mite, the last mite that she has. And we are talking about it this morning. A couple thousand years after she did it, an act of what we think would just be ordinary faithfulness has profound effects. He tells a group of people to walk around a city, just, I just want you to take a walk around that city for seven days, and at the end of seven days, just everybody shout, and the walls come down, and victories are won. He tells Moses, who's a stutterer, who says, I can't speak to Pharaoh, and God just tells him, all I want you to do is just raise your staff, and I'll take care of the rest, And it's a simple, ordinary act of faithfulness in your life, in mine. He tells Aaron to hold up Moses' arms in the middle of a battle while Moses prays. And simply by him holding up Moses' arms, a victory is won for a nation. He tells people to step into water and waters are parted. Who knows what heaven's going to be like? When you, when you show up in heaven and somebody says to you, do you remember that time at work? Thank you for telling, encouraging me and praying for my family at the end. It was because of that that it started a chain of events in my life and I gave my life to Christ. And you're looking at somebody that you had no clue in life ever came to Christ. You didn't even know you played a part in it. Or that person that says thank you for having a cup of coffee with me and giving enough time to just listen to what was going on in my life. I was ready to end my life. But because you had that conversation with me, my life totally turned around. It started, it triggered events in my life that brought me hope. Those kids that you've coached, imagine what heaven will be like. When they come to you and you thought some of them were the the roughest kids you were coaching and they say, Coach, thank you. I don't know if you knew this. As a matter of fact, you were already gone from the earth when I finally decided to give my life to Christ. And the stories go on. Remember that time you golfed with me and you just shared about your own life, your own story and how you came to faith. That time you counseled me or you encouraged me or you just loved my child. You looked at them in the face. It taught me. That God could love me like that. The, rem- the reminder number five is in, starts in verse 22. And now Paul says, captive in the spirit, I am on my way. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, If only I may finish my course in ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. In other words, Paul says, I'm going to finish strong. I will finish this out strong. See, many people can start strong, but the invitation is to finish strong. To not just start well, but to finish well. Most important and most impressive are the finishers, and ultimately, Paul brings it back to this thing of generosity. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing, though you know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all of this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself has said, it is more blessed to to give than to receive. Paul, in the the final statement of this speech that he gives to this group of people that he had lived, these believers, comes back to this place of generosity. Generosity defined Paul because Paul saw that generosity defined Jesus. Jesus, getting ready for the cross, washes the disciples' feet on a night that most of us would want to simply just have maybe some me time. Paul, watch that. He says, "I'm ready to give everything, and I've done everything I can to give everything that I have, and to continue to invest in God's kingdom." Paul would say to us that our relationships are more about giving than receiving. Do you receive more than you give? The goal needs to be to give more than you receive in your career. Or maybe you're retired and you're finishing your life and you're thinking, this is this season of my life is just about me taking care of myself. Paul would say to all of us, it's about investing and being generous with God and his kingdom and these people that he has created. One of the beautiful things that has been happening uh, since the beginning of the year, I had somebody come to me. And of course, you guys have been so generous, the chairs and the carpet. You guys, isn't that been amazing that we, we received that gift, that you guys were so generous and worked so hard for that. But somebody came to me, uh, somebody that's kind of uh, at the stage of their life that some would say it's time to wind down and not be as generous and or just take care of yourself, take care of all your needs, and uh, this person said to me said, I, "I want this all to remain anonymous, but you know i didn 't really have like this big burden for the carpet and chairs. I felt like that was going to be taken care of, but I really want the mortgage paid off. I just feel like God 's spoken to me that I really want the mortgage paid off, so i 'm going to do my part, and it 's amazing because this person began anonymously. Um, since the beginning of the year, giving literally thousands of dollars to that happening, not saying anything, uh, not asking for any even whatever, simultaneous to that, other people just I, and I just believe this is just the activity of the Holy Spirit have also begun and we haven't been we haven't, this is the first time i 've talked about this, certainly since the beginning of the year, certainly in much longer than that. But other people have started to do that, just giving extra money to pay down the mortgage. There's a young couple that just out of nowhere, nobody asked for it, just said, we just want to give money to help paint the children's wing or or do some things in the children's wing. And, And that money actually is going to be used to help paint and do some things up there. But just without even asking this generosity, being at this place of having a sense of, more blessed to give than to receive I want to be more generous than I'm receiving you know we live in a in a in a culture that is saying we need to have a smaller footprint and the church should be the place that it really starts where we would say just what Paul's saying here that I am going to give more than I take that when my life is over it will be known of me that I invested more in the goodness of God and his kingdom and in the goodness of this world that I took from it. And that should start in the church. So question, with all of these reminders that Paul gives us, which one is kind of tugging possibly on your heart on this day? And that's what I want to pray with you about as we pull this together. Could you stand? So maybe for you, You sense a generational duty when we talked about that. Maybe for you, it's at the other end. It's this whole issue of generosity. Whatever it is, God, speak to us even now. Help us to be the kind of people that you have uniquely created for this moment, that you have placed us in this generation. And we do realize the responsibility and also the strength that comes from you. Every provision, every every uh, place in our lives we, we lean into you and ask that you would do what only you can do we celebrate the body of Christ we celebrate the church and the activity all around the world even on this morning we pray miracles will be happening all around the world and God help us all to do our part and play our part in this and we pray especially on this morning for those that are around us that are away from you on this day, help us to clearly communicate Your love for them, best we can. Help us to do that, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: Take my life and let it be. Come to.
0: so god i thank you that each of us prayed from a different place today and maybe even began to write our own farewell speech or began to wonder what would we want in that farewell speech that would be ours uniquely ours the call the masterpiece call on each of our lives And so God, I bless my friends. I pray that they would have an open mind, an open heart, and an open will. And that they would make themselves available to be with you and to wonder and to write speeches and to be with people that you've called them to be with. So bless them, I pray on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday until we gather again as your church. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an awesome week.